You pick up a newspaper and you read that the article presents information from a professional peer-reviewed journal. Maybe it is the prestigious nature or science. Well, the article has to be based on impeccable science that you can trust, doesn't it? Welcome to Created to Rain, a production of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. The Cornwall Alliance is a ministry dedicated to helping fulfill the mandate God gave mankind in Genesis 1.28, to subdue and rule the earth in a way that enhances its fruitfulness, its beauty, and its safety for the glory of God and for the benefit of our neighbors. I am David Arley Gates, and today we are going to discuss shenanigans in academic publishing. An article was published last week in the supposedly prestigious journal Nature. It was entitled, Climate Warming Increases Extreme Daily Wildfire Growth Risk in California, and was written by Patrick Brown of the Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, along with seven of his colleagues. The abstract begins, California has experienced enhanced extreme wildfire behavior in recent years, leading to substantial loss of life and property. Some portion of the change in wildfire behavior is attributable to anthropogenic climate warming. But formally quantifying this contribution is difficult because of numerous confounding factors and because wildfires are below the grid scale of global climate models. So far, so good. The authors conclude. Overall, our risks indicate that anthropogenic warming increases the risk of extreme daily wildfire growth in California. Our findings, however, must be interpreted narrowly as idealized calculations because temperature is only one of the dozens of important variables that influences wildfire behavior. Nonetheless, temperature is the variable that is the most directly related to increasing greenhouse gas concentrations. And in our judgment, there is no expert or model consensus on the magnitude or even the direction of change of many other variables relevant to the projection of wildfire behavior. Despite this, our calculations may result in conservative estimates of changes in risk because at least several important variables that we hold constant may be changing in a way that would exacerbate the enhanced risk caused by warming rather than ameliorate it. A more comprehensive assessment of future risk would also account for changes in fuel characteristics, changes in fire suppression efforts, and changes in ignition patterns. Okay, they conclude that human-induced warming leads to an enhanced wildfire risk in California. Environmentalists certainly will be pleased with these findings. And indeed, they were. National outlets, such as National Public Radio, local papers, such as the Los Angeles Times, and environmental sites, such as the Wilderness Society, jumped on the article to tout it in their daily postings. Indeed, the Los Angeles Times wrote, Brown's research team found that warming substantially increased the extreme growth risk of several lightning-sparked complex fires in 2020 by more than 40%. These fires ignited during what was then the state's hottest August on record. Now, there is every indication that what the Los Angeles Times wrote was indeed supported by the article. There is just one issue. The authors admitted the article was tainted. About a week after the article was published online at the journal Nature, Brown posted the following disclaimer in a blog post entitled, I left out the full truth 
to get my climate change paper published. He wrote, I just got published in Nature because I stuck to a narrative I knew the editors would like. That's not the way science should work. I'm a climate scientist, and while climate change is an important factor affecting wildfires over many parts of the world, it isn't close to the only factor that deserves our sole focus. So why does the press focus so intently on climate change as the root cause? Perhaps for the same reasons I just did in an academic paper about wildfires in nature. It fits a simple storyline that rewards the person telling it. The paper focuses exclusively on how climate change has affected extreme wildfire behavior. I knew not to try to quantify key aspects other than climate change in my research because it would dilute the story that prestigious journals like Nature and its rival, Science, want to tell. There's an old saw that says, publish or perish. In years gone by, the phrase meant that you must publish your work or it dies with you. Today, it means young scientists must publish early and must publish often. Otherwise, their decade or more spent earning a PhD degree becomes worthless. Maybe they can get a job at a second-tier school teaching four classes a semester, but their opportunity at a world-class research university is over. Brown concluded the blog post by writing, the editors of these journals have made it abundantly clear, both by what they publish and what they reject, that they want climate papers that support certain pre-approved narratives, even when those narratives come at the expense of broader knowledge for society. To put it bluntly, climate science has become less about understanding the complexities of the world and more about serving as a kind of Cassandra, urgently warning the public about the dangers of climate change. It distorts a great deal of climate science research, misinforms the public, and most importantly, makes practical solutions more difficult to achieve. I cannot agree more. If this simply were a one-off event, it could be dismissed. However, it isn't the only article under scrutiny this summer. In 2022, an article was published by Gianluca Alamonte and four colleagues in Italy entitled, A Critical Assessment of Extreme Events Trends in Times of Global Warming. Well, you can see just from the title that this isn't going to be one for the environmentalists. It was published in a reputable journal, the European Physical Journal Plus. Unlike the Brown article, though, this one was attacked by the popular press from its publication. The Guardian and Agence France Press, or AFP, attacked the article, citing four scientists who were highly critical of the paper, including the irascible Professor Michael Mann, now of the University of Pennsylvania. The statement that seemed to set off the firestorm was the last sentence in the abstract. It reads, None of these response indicators show a clear positive trend of extreme events. In conclusion, on the basis of observational data, the climate crisis that, according to many sources, we are experiencing today is not evident yet. Roger Pilkey Jr. received from a whistleblower the lengthy back and forth between the editors and the self-selected fact-checkers, including Michael Mann. Mann was quoted as writing, This is another example of scientists from totally unrelated fields coming in and naively applying inappropriate methods to data they don't understand. Either the consensus of the world's climate experts that climate change is causing a very clear increase in many types of weather extremes is wrong, 
or a couple of nuclear physics dudes in Italy are wrong. Fair enough. So what was wrong with their science? See, this is how science is supposed to work. Someone publishes research and someone else can demonstrate why the conclusion is erroneous. The research is amended or retracted. But here, it was the conclusion that was wrong. None of these so-called fact-checkers found any real scientific errors in the article itself, and they did not base their concerns on the science presented within the article. The paper was finally retracted by Springer Verlag last week, much to the delight of The Guardian and AFP, who both took partial credit. The reason? Quote, concerns were raised, unquote. No allegation of scientific fraud, no misconduct of any sort. Loud alarmist scientists raised their voices, and the journal capitulated. Welcome to the new scientific procedure. It's not the science underlying it. It's all about what the results suggest. Play the game, and you are published and cheered. But go against the so-called consensus, and your articles are retracted, and you will be disgraced in print. This scenario plays out over and over again. Now, just as I was about to tape this podcast, an email came to me from the publishers of the journal Nature, entitled, What Are Your Views on Scholarly Publishers? The email invited me to share what I think about the publisher, its work, and how it compares with others. Quote, this will help us understand what matters to the research community and what Springer Nature needs to communicate better, unquote. I'll respond, and you probably know what I will say. And if I win the prize draw for a $250 gift card, I'll donate it to the Cornwall Alliance. As Roger Pilkey Jr. concludes, we should not be in a situation where activist journalists, many funded by billionaires, enlist activist scientists to demand retraction of a scientific article and then the world's arguably leading scientific publisher meekly obeys. We must do better. Again, I agree wholeheartedly, but I'd like to conclude that these events are simply exceptions to the rule. Unfortunately, they aren't. I've been the victim of this several times, and most recently, this past summer. Yes, this summer. But first, let me take you back about 15 years. Back in the mid-2000s, I co-authored an article with several researchers, including my friend Willie Soon, that focused on the Michael Mann hockey stick. The article was published in the journal Climate Research, a cutting-edge journal at the time. After an outcry from Mann and other scientists, the publisher and senior editor of Climate Research reviewed both the article and the process that led to its acceptance in the journal. He stood behind the process and the article by concluding that the editor had done a good and fair job as editor and that the authors had addressed the reviewer's concerns appropriately. But after further outcry from the scientists, and an open threat to the publisher that the journal would be shunned by the climate change community if our article was allowed to stand, the publisher recanted. And although he did not retract the article, he admitted that the paper never should have been published. No reason was ever given. It was just that concerns were raised by loudmouth activist scientists. Willie and I even were forced to appear with Michael Mann at a congressional hearing where the process was scrutinized and our veracity was called into question. As a result, the journal Climate Research has since faded from being a first-tier research journal. But this summer, Willie and I also published a paper with other researchers 
that focused on the urban heat island and solar effects. It was attacked on the Real Climate blog by Gavin Schmidt, head of the Goddard Institute for Space Studies in New York City. Real Climate is run by four researchers, including Schmidt and, yes, you guessed it, Professor Michael Mann. Again, the attacks were perfunctory and without substance, but our paper has the possibility of being used to counter the alarmist narrative, and for that singular point, it must be attacked, discredited, and subsequently retracted. Then the lead author of our paper, Dr. Ronan Connolly of Ireland, received an email from Roland Lloyd Perry of AFP. Yes, this is the same AFP that went after the article by Alamante and his colleagues this summer. Lloyd Perry identified himself as a climate change journalist who informed Ronan that our article was under investigation for a fact-checked article by the AFP since, and I cannot make this up, quote, some scientists raise concerns about it, unquote. I wonder whom they might be. Hmm. Lloyd Perry, a climate change journalist, had five questions for us to answer. So let's work through them, shall we? One, a number of scientists have said that one of the solar time series in your study has been disproved. Or should that have been disproven? I would assume that a journalist would have a better command of the language, uh, but I digress. Well, without going into our scientific discussion, the only such claim appears to be the some scientists that have raised issue of the paper, not with the science involved. There is nowhere that we can find in print that this time series has been disproven. Two, did you or any of your co-authors, to your knowledge, receive funding from private companies to carry out this study? And if so, which ones? Stupid question. Because the journal has a paragraph at the end of every article that identifies funding and sources of funding. We cite a research center that runs on funds from individual donors and a grant from Argentina. The rest of the 38 scientists did not receive funding for this research. An actual reading of the article would have precluded posing this question to us. Three, a number of the named co-authors of the study do not appear to have academic qualifications in climate science. What was their role in the paper? Does that sound familiar? Well, it turns out there's actually a section in the back of the paper that tells you the role of each scientist. We brought on a number of people with expertise in statistics, solar physics, land surface processes, remote sensing, and other areas, since our work was not purely related to climate science. But as many have noted, climate science affects and is affected by a variety of disciplines. But this was also the main criticism of Professor Michael Mann regarding the Alamante paper this summer. Hmm. Question four. What means were employed to coordinate the authorship of this article between 38 co-authors based in 17 countries? Really? That's your question? Our response was simply two words. The internet. See, I wanted to write either carrier pigeon or smoke signal, but I was outvoted. And question five. A number of messages online have pointed to named authors having previous funding links to fossil fuel companies. What is your response? Wait, isn't this a simple repeat of question two? I guess maybe Lloyd Perry thought he might get a different answer this time around. Nope. So after Ronan responded to Mr. Lloyd Perry, he came back with some snide comments for Ronan. 
And at this point, we now have three questions of our own for Mr. Lloyd Perry. One, sir, you claimed you were preparing a fact-checked article about the recent study on the urban heat island and solar effects after some scientists raised concerns about it. However, you only provided one example of a concern that some scientists apparently had raised. We showed you categorically on five different grounds that this alleged concern was false and erroneous. In your follow-up query to us, you were only interested in uncritically pushing slanderous lies and disinformation from a decade ago that have absolutely nothing to do with the paper. Are you genuinely interested in fact-checking, or is this just a fishing expedition? Two, according to AFP's website, the agency has a unique status under French law, which stipulates that AFP can under no circumstances be influenced by commercial, political, or ideological interests that might compromise the accuracy or objectivity of the information it provides. AFP goes on to state, AFP fact-checking teams verify facts, not opinions or beliefs. If we are unable to establish strong and cross-checked evidence, we will not publish a fact-check. So in keeping with AFP's self-imposed standards, it seems that they will have to abandon their attack on our article, since they have not provided even one fact about our papers that they can claim is in dispute. We shall see if they follow their own rules. Three, given our interactions with you in the past, are you a genuine journalist or are you a disinformation creator? Now, see, I don't really expect an answer to this, but it's always nice to hang them from their own batards. After all, their website suggests, quote, disinformation is created and designed to deliberately mislead people, often with a malicious intent, unquote. Thus, we ask the question again, Mr. Lloyd Perry, are you a disinformation creator? And by the way, what are your credentials, Mr. Lloyd Perry, to fact check climate change research, especially since you made such a big deal of it regarding the authors of our and of Alamonte's papers? Funny though, it turns out that Mr. Lloyd Perry has a master's degree from Jesus College in Oxford. It is in classics and classical languages literature, and linguistics. His experience since graduation has been as a Latin American desk editor and regional reporter, and as a journalist covering world news, politics, and economics. Well, of course, he has all the requisite expertise to evaluate climate change research. Sure he does. So we shall see how Mr. Lloyd Perry responds. And at least the summer is over. I cannot wait for the fall. Thank you for listening to Created to Rain. Until next time, I am David R. Gates, and may God richly bless you.